morning, church family. How are you this morning? We're going to be reading out of 1 John chapter 4 this morning, if you want to join me there. It's kind of ironic because uh, Carl and I were talking about grandpas this morning and listening to the stories and their wisdom and so on. And today we get a chance to probably listen to one of the wisest grandpas who ever lived. I mean, he walked with Jesus on the earth. You can only imagine the things he saw, the places he went. Today we get to be blessed by listening to probably one of the wisest grandpas share God's words with us. So if you want to join me in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come to, in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God is made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we come to you this morning and we just uh, we lift up your word. And Lord, we, we pray for your Holy Spirit to have his way here. Just to open our eyes, Lord, and, and open our ears. Prepare our heart for what you have for us, Lord. We ask a special blessing on uh, Phil Fowler and his wife and and Sherry's mother, Lord, we just ask for your protection upon them. We ask for your peace that surpasses all understanding to fill them and surround them. Lord, as we just open your word, I pray that you bless Jackie. Touch him with your spirit, Lord. 
And uh, may we hear and understand what you have for us today, and may we, may we go and share it with the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are still in 1 John. It's supposed to only take me a couple of weeks. We only got a chapter left. We might make it in another month or two. Um, I don't want you guys to forget where we've come from, okay? So the gospel or the epistle of John begins with the person that makes everything possible. So everything he's talking about in 1 John is made possible by the word of life, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word, and verse 14, the word became flesh and? That's right, that's right. And so we, we know Jesus is the one that makes all of these things possible, but then he goes on to tell us there's something that hinders us, that, that slows our progress or, or causes us angst, and that's sin. And in the very first chapter, he tells us what to do about it. He says, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's the life of a believer, trusting dependence in Christ and confession of sin as we move through. Now then John gets to his two primary subjects, which are going to be love and deception. He's going to, you know, I, I've told you uh, I created a word, I think. Or I read it in a book somewhere, but I don't remember the book, so it's mine. So John writes symphonically. He writes like music. He doesn't write linearly like you and I. He's going to loop. So he's going to talk about love. Then he's going to talk about deception. He's going to talk about love. He's going to talk about deception. Now he's talking about love again. And we're going to, we're going to be picking it up in verse 7 uh, this morning, um, just as by way of remembrance. He told us the purpose of his writing. Why did he write this? To encourage believers to grow. What do we need to grow in? We need to grow in the ability to love one another and beware deception. That's where he wants, that's the growth that he's looking for. He's trying to expose us to the dangers of worldliness and the attitude of antichrist and the purity and principles of love. And so he's, as he builds on as he builds on all of those things, we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear the things that he's laying out for us. Uh, there's several guys. I, I, have a, I have eclectic musical taste. Is that right word, babe? That was a good word? Oh, thanks, honey. So I, I like a lot of different music, and I also have an eclectic uh, group of pastors I like to listen to. Probably one of my favorite is, is Vody Bachman. And one of the things he says when we talk about love, he gives a definition of love. I really liked it. And uh, so, so I'm going to steal it, but I just gave him credit. So don't yell at me that I stole his stuff. Here's what he said. The definition of love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of the object. Now, yes, last week when we were together, we defined it, right? We went through 1 Corinthians 13. We talked about biblically what's the Bible talking about. I think this is a great phrase that sums up what we talked about. Biblical love is an act of the will 
It is accompanied by emotion, not driven by emotion. And it leads to action on behalf of the object. That's a love that God had for us. And that's the love God is calling us to express to one another. In verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. So, how many times have we heard this already in 1 John? How about in the Gospel of John? How about how many times in the Bible? It almost rivals fear not. And the reason why we have to be reminded this all the time is this is a really big struggle for us, to love one another. And you say, well, you know, I love you, but I don't like you. I don't know. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't ever hear Jesus say, I love you, but I don't like you. You know, those are the things we say to justify our bitterness or our anger or our frustration or all that nonsense that the Bible says we're supposed to put all that off. And we're supposed to put on love, primarily for one another, right? When Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, what did he say at the end? He said, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. What's the Latin next phrase? This is, a, this is the fresh part. Love one another just as I have loved you. So if you're saying to yourself, how should I love this person that I don't like? Like Christ loved you. And he gave himself for you. Right? This is the attitude of love. So he's going to begin verses uh, 7 through 10 and talking about why do we need this love? Why do we need this love that we are describing here? Well, we need it to love one another because we don't, we're not, we don't have the ability to churn it up inside of us. It's a gift of God. Romans 5, 1 through 5 will lay that out for us. He says, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Why do we need this love? We have to learn to love one another. Why do we need this love? Because love is from God. Did you catch that? It comes forth from him. And whoever loves is showing evidence that he has been born again. Whoever is showing this love from God, that's evidence that we have been born again. For God is love. Don't miss what John is trying to get across to the church that we read about in Revelation that's going to have a charge from God that says, you have what? Left your first love. You have left that, that primary love. We, don't, we, we want to understand what the Lord's calling us to. Well, how has this love been demonstrated to us? Well, he told us in those verses how was it demonstrated that God sent his son? Scripture lays out for us, John 
3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is how the love of God is made manifest toward this. John would write again, 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's the same response that we're supposed to have for one another. Is it hard? Yeah, if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it all over the place. All them songs we sing about love would actually be true. But you guys know none of those are true, right? We should sing songs like love is for the next five minutes and then it's going away. When my father married my mother, he said the words, until do us part. But it should have been until the secretary and me part. That's what it should have been. Because that's the reality. And in our world today, this is the idea. This is the picture we have of love. Love's temporary. Love's fleeting. Love's this emotion we can't control. But that is not what the Bible tells us about love. The Bible teaches us that love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. It's impossible to do that and say, I don't like you. It's impossible to actually, you can say, I'm laying down my life for someone you don't like. I once knew a, uh, a man who, want, his wife wanted to go on a date. And so he said, okay, I'll die to myself. So you could imagine she was not very happy about that. You mean you die to yourself to be with me? That's so hard. We say so many crazy things. Look, the word of God is challenging us that this is how we can understand love. God sent his son. That's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. We, we, we have this love demonstrated to us first, in God sending his son. And by the way, he's talking about sending his son to die for us. Talking about his death, burial, resurrection, the accomplishing of salvation for the body of Christ. How was this love demonstrated? That we might live through him. You had no life without Christ. You got, everybody spends all this time going to, uh, you know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And, and we're trying to figure out how to make that my checkbook or my car or my motorcycle or other things in life that I enjoy. You were dead. He gave you life. The only way you have life is through him. This is what the word of God lays out for us. We were all spiritually dead, right? And Christ made us alive together by the sacrifice, by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
by the beautiful by the beautiful offering that he made. He has become our propitiation, our sin sacrifice, our sin substitute, our atonement. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now you were dead in trespasses and sin. This is our state. Before Christ, we are the living dead. You're the living dead. You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked. So I was moving, right? I was the walking dead, but I was dead. He says here, you were dead in trespasses and once you in which you once walked. Lord have mercy. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he's pointing to, look, the sons of disobedience, the sons of wrath. All men sit under the wrath of God without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, without the good news of the gospel poured out in our life. That's our state. Sons of disobedience at war with God. Enmity. The Bible tells us that's where we were. Among whom we all once lived. The sons of disobedience. We live with the sons of disobedience in the passion of our flesh. We did what we want. We did what we want, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. People ask, what are we saved from? You are saved from the wrath of God. For you are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved from wrath. We were children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, like the rest of mankind. Anybody not included in that phrase? That's, that's our state, right? Aren't you thankful that Paul didn't stop there, close the book, and say, that's it? That was my happy sermon for today. We're all under wrath. Good luck. No, he said, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Whoa. In that state, he loved us. He didn't love you because he looked down the corridors of time and saw all the good you were going to do. No. He loved you because God is love. That is part of his essential characteristic. Omnibenevolence. God is love. Same phrase as God is light. You've heard that one before too, right? So he's, he lays out here that God, rich in mercy, he loved us in that state, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, and he made us alive together, listen to this phrase, with Christ. That's the power of the resurrection, to transform the dead to life. This love that God expressed toward us is how we live. We live in it. This grace that he has given is the grace in which we stand. 
He raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. That, that's that whole, you don't deserve it. His kindness, his grace that he asks you to show to each other. Love one another the same way I have loved you. This is how we are to love one another. You see, love is seen in the act of God who loved us and expressed this love by giving his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Our act was to sin. God's was to love and to send. And then he says, this is how you're supposed to love one another. Look at the results. Verse 11. Here's the results. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I thought you'd be tired of hearing about love by now because we've been in First John a while. This is so vital for us to get because in the community of Buell, churches are closing right and left. At least two of them, one's for sale now, a second one will be for sale or will be gifted, given away um, soon. Uh, two more are right on the brink. Churches that were a big part of the community here such a big part of the community, they were actually built in the community. Very little parking. Most people could just walk to church back in the day. And if I'm honest, I think we, we allowed a lot of ideas from the world to kind of get us derailed. We started doing something at Calvary Chapel Buell called Family Night, and people are still struggling with the idea of Family Night. I, I want you to, to try to, to understand it with me. It is impossible for a youth pastor to love every child in youth group. Do you know that? I was a youth pastor. The early days, 25 years, I've been in ministry 25 years. I was a youth pastor. I had more than 100 kids in youth group. The kids that I connected with and poured into continued walking with the Lord and are doing so today. That would have been maybe in my five to seven years of youth group, maybe 10 kids. I had 100 kids a year. Well, I had other youth leaders and other people and we try to stand in the gap and make all the differences that we can so that we, we pick up all the kids, but you know, you lose the majority, right? Why are churches closing? 70 to 85% of all kids born in the church, and I'm not talking about born other places, leave the church by the time they're out of high school. That's the current model. 
way we've always done things. Wise man once told me, you want to hear the seven words of a dying church? But we've always done it that way before. Do you know what God's model is to, to be with one another? God's model is this, that the older would teach the younger. So family night, that's what family night's for. Not to get in our own little cliques, but to bring your family, have meal with us. What happens at meal? We congregate together organically. We get to know one another. Oh, we click with so-and-so or, or I really enjoy spending time with this kid or I met a kid who really likes to, to golf and hopefully we're going to set up some time to go golfing and, and build relationships by which you pour into other people's lives. Now, instead of a youth pastor hitting five people, how many people are here? What if all of us took a, a loving interest in our neighbor? What if all of us took a loving interest in our neighbor's kids? What if we looked for those opportunities where we have something that we could give to the one next to us? How would that work? Would we catch more than we lose? I don't know. I know this. If it's broke, fix it. The Bible says love one another. And this, that's what we're, we're desperately moving to try to accomplish. I don't have all the answers, but I do have the biblical ones. What's the Bible say? Older women... Come on, you guys know it. Thank you. Yes, teach the younger women. Older men, teach the younger men. You see, the Bible says when it talks about older women, it says likewise, older women teach younger women. That means in the same way that older men teach younger men, that we organically need to come together as a family. That's the point. Because we're called to what? Love one another. Look. I just recently had a conversation with my wife and we're, we're talking about making some decisions that maybe are going <clears> to <throat> cost us some freedom but maybe a blessing to our grandkids because I'm supposed to love them. Now, what I really want to do is go have fun. I did kids. Anybody here do kids already? Yeah, I survived it. I want to say, like, good luck. I hope you make it. Peace. <laughs> but the Bible tells us to do what? Love one another. What did he say in, in 1 John 4:11? Beloved, if God loved us, so we ought to love one another. Which means love. Love is led to action on behalf of the object. What is better for my neighbor? What is better for the one gathering with me in church? What's better for the kids? What's better? That's our desire, simply just to provide what's better. And I can't do it myself. I can only do it in community with you. For we are the body of Christ, right? 
each part has a part to play, right? You guys remember the illustration? You can't cut off your hand and put it in a freezer. Go about your day. If part of the body is missing, we're missing part of the body. Do you pay attention to the world? Are you watching? Does it look a little nuts to you? Does it get better every day? Like you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, it was a dream. Oh, no, all this stuff is really happening. If not now, when? We can't solve it in a day, a week, a month. But we can change something today that makes a difference 10 years from now, right? So I just want to encourage you guys, plug in to, to Wednesdays. We have a meal studies just an hour. We'll do a study together. And then afterwards, we have more time hanging out, getting to know one another to provide opportunity for us to love one another. And prayerfully, we can see God do some amazing things in and through it. We can stand in the gap for one another. Look, I, all I know is when I had kids, I was thankful for the people who stood in the gap for my kids. That's something that we, that's a way that we can love one another. We ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. This love that we're expressing demonstrates that God's in us and he's giving us what we need to be able to love one another, to pour out this love which we're talking about. It demonstrates God's presence. Now, when the Bible tells us that God is invisible, no one has seen God at any time. The, the, the lack of the definite article referring to God in this case refers to his essence, his being. Nobody can see all that there is to see of God. There is an expression in John 1.18 that I love. This is why I use ESV today. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. If, if God is in us and through us, if what we read last week in Romans 5, 1 through 5 has occurred and the love of God is poured out in our life by the Holy Spirit, then we are able to reflect the love of Christ to one another. And it would be a, it would be a, a, a signal to the world. Jesus said, all men will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. By the way we love one another. Now he goes on and says, not only is this describing for us these results that we expect to see poured out of our life, that we should love one another, that God is in us and, and noble, but it also describes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given of his spirit. Now don't miss that phrase. In English, sometimes it's so easy for us to misunderstand English because English is such a dumb language. Isn't it? You ever try to teach somebody who don't know how to speak English why the word they're using is wrong? And they're looking at you like, I'm saying the same thing you are. 
Yeah, no, that's not the same thing. So what is he saying? He's saying that this love that we, that we are experiencing, look, by this we know we abide in him and him in us because he has given us of his spirit. The spirit is pouring the love of God in our life and that's evidence that God's present within us because that's what his Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. How do we know he abides in me? Because he has given of his spirit. This gift is passing from the spirit to us. It is out of his spirit that he has given us. I want you to hold on to that idea. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share some scripture with you that is leading somewhere. So hopefully we'll all land at the same place at the end. Let's see. John wrote, John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not disappoint or put to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 8, 9, yet you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. For anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? But you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And finally, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The, the fruit of the Spirit. The thing that, that John is asking of the church is something that the church has been given through faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit taking residence in the life of a believer and bestowing in them and through them this love that we're to pour out. It's already in your account. It's there. This evidence, this truth, this reality poured into our lives of the Holy Spirit. And this love declares, it declares our faith in Christ. Verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So John, eyewitness, he said, and we have seen and testify the Father has sent the Son to be the savior of the world. And then he's going to clarify what that means. The Bible nowhere teaches universalism, that everybody is saved. The Bible says in the clarification, verse 15, whoever confesses Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And the Bible tells us he can only make that confession with the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, you call Jesus Lord. 
So this confession, this phrase that, that lays out for us, this, this call of the Savior, 1 Timothy 4.10 says, For to this end we toil, we strive, because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people. How's it go? Especially those who believe. Especially those who believe. It is only by the Spirit of God that anybody ever confesses that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh. 1 John 4, 2. Or as he puts the same truth here, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, giving evidence of the fact that God lives in him and he in God, again, the witness of the apostles everywhere is supplemented by the witness of the Spirit. triune God functions together in salvation. One's not fighting against the other. All flowing in perfect unity to bring salvation and establish within the heart of a believer the ability to love his brother. In the same way that you might argue over someone's salvation, you say, oh, I don't know if they're really saved. John's going to do that in a minute, isn't he? But he's not going to do it the way you do it. He's not going to do it by a, a, a point of doctrine. He's not going to do it by what he wears or what he did. He's going to say, if you don't love your brother, the love of God is not in you. That's a big deal. Don't, don't lose sight of what a big deal he is talking about. He says in verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he's making love the evidence, right? He's making love the evidence. Look, he's saying, look, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know, we have experientially known the love of God because Christ Jesus died for me. He could say, God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. <coughs> this act of the will, this act of the will that, that comes also with emotion that leads to action on the behalf of the object. Yeah, that, that, by that we see, we know, we comprehend, we understand the love of God who abides in God and God abides in him. You see, it's his love that caused us to respond to him. God moved first, not you or me. God moved, God touched, his love characterizes his nature, his attributes, and his power, God is love, his love convinces us that he dwells within us, because God is love. And his love will destroy our fear. 
By this is love perfected with us, verse 17, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. It means we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the judgment of God. This is love perfected within us. That we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. See, we've, we've expressed, we are expressing that character, that characteristic. We reflect characteristics of God. We're not perfect reflections. We won't be here. But the Bible says that he created us as imagers. No? You are in the image of God? What do you think that's for? So you'd be different from an ape? An image of God reflects forth his image. The characteristics of God are seen in his children. No? We want to see those characteristics poured out. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears is not perfected in love. When we think about the day when we stand before the Lord, never, I don't know, I don't know when it stopped. Uh, you know, I don't know, I can't tell you. I just know I never, when I think about seeing Jesus, I never am, am afraid of judgment from him. That's never what, when I see Jesus, I have this motivation in my heart and soul that wants to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, I'm not filled with fear, but I am motivated to live a life worthy of his praise. Perfect love doesn't have fear. Cast out fear. You don't have love expressed, the love of God expressed in your life means you don't have to be afraid of God's judgment. For you are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were children of wrath, right? We were children of wrath, but then we've been saved. And now we're not appointed unto wrath. We don't have fear of wrath. We're not afraid of wrath. There's no reason for us to be afraid of that. But we do want to live lives that honor the Lord, that glorify him. I want to be able to say one day that, like Jesus said of his, uh, of his earthly ministry, he said, I only say the things the Father gives me to say. I want to be able to say, I only say the words God wants me to say. If I shut up, most of, if I shut up all the time, I'd be way ahead. I'd be way ahead. Right? Jesus said, I only speak the words... The Father gives me to speak. I love the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel because Ezekiel is a man, and <clears throat> I don't know, you know, I have ideas. When I see Ezekiel, we'll see. But God, looking at Ezekiel, said, look, Ezekiel, in order for this to work, I'm going to make you mute. Yeah. In order, to, in order for this to work, Ezekiel, I'm going to make you mute. You can only speak when I give you something to say. 
And it was that way until Jerusalem fell. When Jerusalem fell, scriptures tell us that a refugee from Jerusalem got to the refugee camp in uh, Babylon and said, Jerusalem has fallen. And Ezekiel says, the Lord opened my mouth. Apparently in that period of time, God got enough control of Ezekiel's tongue, he could let it go. I want to, honestly, I want to be, I want to say things God wants me to say. Not, not the dumb stuff that my flesh wants to say or my anger wants to say or my frustration wants to say or all that stuff. I, you know, I oftentimes make life way harder than it needs to be. <clears throat> and then he said, I only do the things the Father gave me to do. How much time would you have? How much time would you have for your children? For your children's children? For your children's children's children? If all you did was what the Father gave you to do. Those are important questions for us to answer, aren't they? I'm getting old. And I look at a world, and I, I was pretty sure Jesus would have come back by now. We'd all be in heaven singing, watching the highlight on TV of what was going on on earth. But we're still here. We still got stuff to do. Amen? Yeah, we got stuff to do. And we can rub our head and just keep saying, well... Eventually, Jesus is going to just snatch us out of this, so let's just keep making a big mess. Or maybe we ought to go, hey, Lord, we repent of our big mess. Help us straighten it out. Can we be a better witness to the world than we're being? Can we be more involved? Yeah. I think those are the kind of things that the Lord wants poured out of our life. That I don't have to be afraid. I'm not, I, my motivation is not fear of God's wrath. My motivation is to love him and please him. That's my motivation. I want to please my father in heaven. I want to please my savior. I want to please him by the things that I say and the things that I do. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 declares our dependence upon him. Listen, we love because he first loved us. All our love of, of God is born out of God's love for me. I've shared before that the uh, the only way I really have ever understood grace or forgiveness is by the words my wife told me when I told her I had HIV as a result of being unfaithful to her. And she was pregnant. We had been married a couple of years and I was a dirtbag. I was still a dirtbag for a few years after that, by the way. And I told her and expected everything to end. It's all over. I don't deserve nothing. I don't deserve a chance. I don't de deserve anything. I, there's nothing in me that deserves anything. And she gave me grace. And it broke my heart. 
and for the first time in my life, I had an example to understand what grace is. Now, whatever I've done to my wife in 35 years of marriage is infinitesimally small compared to the wrath I stored up with God. So understanding that that giving of grace from her and then recognizing the grace that God has given me. Yeah. It motivates me to love people that others don't want to love. Because, look, nobody would have loved me back then. Nobody. But God, rich in mercy, yeah, he loved me. He saved me. He changed my life, changed my direction. My wife's grace didn't have the ability to transform my life. She gave me grace, but I was still a dirtbag. But the power of the resurrection of my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that transforms a life. Now, the guy I am today doesn't even resemble that person. And I know everybody doesn't know that. You guys weren't with me back then. But it's okay. It's enough for me. I know it. I know what God has done. And so my response for what God has done is not only to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's my, that's my goal. That, that is, by the way, achievable through his spirit. So it's dependence on him, right? Dependence on his love, dependence on his spirit. I'm going to love God. It's, it's achievable. Again, if I would duct tape my mouth shut and, and uh, not do most of the things I do, but God has made a way. God has made a way for us to respond to him. He tells us in verse 20 and 21, I don't want us to miss this part. He tells us the determining of perfect love. How do, how do we recognize it? It's not super complicated. I like John. John is really simple. It may be profound, but it's, it's not hard to comprehend. He says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. If anyone says he loves God and hates his brother, the love of God is not in him. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, just in case you're thinking after all this time, I'm pretty sure Jackie's crazy. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, circle that word, must. Love his brother. So, 
It's the truth of my confession. Right? You say, I have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. I've made that confession. No one can make that confession apart from the Holy Spirit. It's evidence that I am a believer and I am trusting the Lord. Well, evidence of the truth of your confession is love for God is expressed by love for your brother. That's mind-blowing. Truth of your obedience is seen. If I don't love my brother, I don't love God. I have this unique thing that I do where, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't do this, but somebody offends me or whatever, and they're just dead to me. I just turn everything off. Like, I, you're dead to me. That's, a, that's the clearest way for, for me to express it. I just, I don't care at all. Uh, that's, by the way, not a gift of the Spirit. <laughs> that's a curse of the flesh. We talk about these things all the time, but the reality is dwelling together in community is hard. It's easier to stay home and watch online. You get along with everybody in your living room, especially if you're the only one there. <laughs> right? It's hard. Because people do things and it, it's just hard. People say things, it's hard. Things happen, our... Our, our struggle with bitterness or unforgiveness or whatever, whatever the things are, you know what they are. It was so important to Jesus. He said, you know, if you come to give your gift on the altar and while you're there, and by the way, giving your gift on an altar was a big deal. And while you're there, you remember yeah, you and another brother are not okay. What did he say to do? Just keep going on like everything's fine. Pretend it's all good or continue to think of he or she as dead to you. No, that's not what, that's not what they said to do. Leave your altar, leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then come back. That's how important that is to God. Now, it's hard. It's painful. There's a lot of tears, a lot of not sleeping, a lot of frustration. But every time I have been obedient to that has been a great blessing in my life. There are friendships I still have today because I was obedient to that. And in order to continue in those, I'm going to have to continue being obedient. Just in case you don't know how you're supposed to respond. If your brother comes to you and says, you have offended me. And he says, X. You offended me, X. I don't even care what it is. Your job 
is not to defend yourself, but to walk humbly before your God. So your job is to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Then their job is to say, yes. And a brother, brothers are reconciled like that. Now, if you decide you're going to do that different, a brother comes to you and presents his offense, and you decide you're going to be the defense attorney, you are going to create a schismata. Don't do that. You're not our defense attorney, nor are you yours. Who is your defense attorney? What does the Bible declare? Who is your advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's a worthy advocate. You let him defend you. You humble yourself and be restored. And hopefully when you guys go today, and you go back home and you talk about all the crazy things Jackie said this week. And, and then you say, I don't know if I should go to coffee and straighten them out. Please do. I'll be there at coffee in the morning. Um, also pray that God would speak to your heart about how he wants you to express the love of God in the community of Buell. How, how to express it. Now, at the same time, I'm sure there are people that say, what in the world? I don't know. What, the, what can I do? I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time from, from older men in the church. Oh, what can I do? I'm an old guy. It's because you buy the lie of the culture that says all the important things are in youth. But not all the important things are in youth. We became old guys because we learned some things on the way. And those things need to be shared. What's your job? Find someone to share your wisdom with. Find someone you can tell. I know. Everybody has all the answers already. I know. It's okay. Jesus calls you to do it to express your love. One to another. You're not responsible for what someone does with it. Are you? But you are responsible to give it. Share your love experiences. That's what we need. Community needs to be woven together. So Calvary Chapel Buell is not two generations from being up for sale. Because we are woven together, then it will be generation after generation after generation. And our view will be toward the success of a multi-generational ministry because we just do what the Bible says. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, I thank you that we can study your word here. I thank you for people who will come and listen to an old man ramble. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit anointed the ears you want to hear. I pray, God, that we can be just a part of the answer for one another. few months ago I stood before my son and I told him uh, I, I sent you to all these great places I took you to Israel I made sure you went to a Christian school I made sure that you were learning proper things in Sunday school. I made sure that you were blessed in youth group. I made sure that you heard the word of God every day. But what you really wanted was me. Now, since that day, that I asked his forgiveness. I can't, we can't go backwards. I can't do anything. I can't do anything backwards. He has pursued Christ on his own. He is reading through the Bible for the first time because my son needs me. Your children need you. And your children need us. Because corporately together, we have all the pieces we need of the wisdom and revelation of Christ in each of our lives to encourage one another to walk and to stand and to grow. To save you from talking to your son when he's in his 30s and saying, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't there enough when you were growing up. And in order to stand in the gap for all that, we need one another because this world does not allot us the same amount of time. We have not enough hours in a day to do all the things that we need to do. Please do the things that matter. Teach your children about Christ. Talk about him when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk in the way. God is able to strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. I'm thankful for that. But he does provide us some straight sticks in the word. So God, I pray that you would help us love you. And help us love one another the way you want us to. And that the things that we do
choices that we make, they're helpful, not harmful. That they equip us with the things that we need so that there is another generation and another generation and another generation blessed by the truth of God's word because men and women made a commitment to one another and to the Lord to just obey just do what he's asking us to do and in the end Lord may you be glorified and magnified through it all in Jesus name